Well, this is very exciting. Uh, when I'm on this time of the morning, I, I don't often have live sports results uh, to report on. Uh, but I am proud to say, excited to say, that the U.S. women's soccer team um, tied Portugal to a 0-0 draw. Nil-nil? Uh, uh, is that just... Uh, is that just tennis? I'm not sure, but uh, they uh, they played to a draw. Both them and the Netherlands move on to the round of 16, and the quest for the three-peat continues. And uh, in other news, it's official that uh, $82 billion state budget that was passed earlier this year, the biggest in state history, uh, remember, it, it's the one with $764 million put aside for special projects. Um, it was a formality, but it's uh, official. Governor Whitmer has signed that um, into law. Uh, Jay Freeman on my board. Um, it's been a busy morning. Haven't been able to check in with you. Were you a Were you a Pee Wee Herman guy as a kid? You and I are about the same age, right? I'm 38. How old are you? Yeah, um, about like like two years younger. I, yeah, I was Pee Wee Herman. I was watching that a lot of times. When I was younger. Me too. I, I you know I. I remember my siblings and I, we taped the Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, Christmas special off TV, and I feel like we watched it all year round. And, uh, of course, unfortunately, Paul Rubens, the guy who played Pee Wee Herman, uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 70. I guess he's been uh, fighting cancer for six years. It's been very private. And um, so if you were born two years after me, you and I are a couple of 80s babies, so all, the 80s babies are all going to remember Pee Wee Herman um, for Pee Wee's Playhouse. And unfortunately, I think everyone else will remember him for his uh, arrest in 1991 for indecent exposure inside a movie theater. But uh, he came back. He, he he got a couple of roles. I remember he played uh, one of the vampires in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, he played the hairdresser in Blow. And he made a bunch of other cameos and voiceover stuff. So... And he wrote a really sweet message, too, on his Instagram. Well, obviously, he didn't write it. Somebody released it after his death, and it said, uh, sorry for keeping you all in the dark, and uh, I loved making art for you. Very sweet. So rest in peace, Paul Rubens. I I have a feeling that if he were in another era, that uh, uh, movie theater indiscretion probably would not have sung his career as as much as it did. Uh, The second employee of former President Trump to be charged in his classified document case has appeared in court and he's been released on bond. Fox's Jessica Rosenthal reports. Carlos de Oliveira appeared in federal court in Miami but did not enter a plea as he does not yet have an attorney representing him in Florida. He was released after agreeing to pay $100,000 should he fail to appear in court and he turned over his passport. De Oliveira is charged with conspiracy to obstruct justice and lying to investigators, accused of trying to delete surveillance footage at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate at the request of the former president himself. The Justice Department has unfortunately decided to bring these charges against Mr. Dale. Now it's time for them to put their money where their mouth is. De Oliveira's D.C.-based attorney, John Irving, would not say whether De Oliveira has been asked to testify against the former president. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. Meanwhile, in Georgia, a Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, he rejected former President Trump's effort to throw it, throw out evidence in the criminal investigation into him uh, in that state, uh, into whether or not he tried to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia by uh, having a, that phone call with their secretary of state 
uh, and he asked him to uh, find enough votes lying around to put him over the top. Um, Trump and his legal team, they asked the court to throw out all evidence they gathered from the special purpose grand jury. Uh, they were challenging the constitutionality of special grand jury. And they also wanted to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. That's a that's a strong Southern lawyer name, by the way. Uh, they wanted her disqualified for public comments she made about the case. Uh, Trump's legal team, they originally took these concerns to Georgia's Supreme Court, where they were also dismissed there. And Fannie Willis is expected to present her case to a grand jury by September 1st. So once we're done with the January 6th indictment watch, we'll be on Georgia election interference um, elect uh, uh, indictment watch. Pardon me. Um, so uh, on the other side of the aisle, specific details have yet to come out on the interview of Hunter Biden's ex-business partner before House committee investigators. Here's uh, Fox News' Grinnell Scott. Devin Archer did not talk to the media as he left his interview Monday. Sources say he placed President Biden, then the vice president, as a participant by phone as Hunter Biden sought to get on the board of energy company Burisma. House Oversight Committee GOP member Nancy Mace of South Carolina said last weekend on Fox News Sunday they'll get the transcript, but there's more to do. He has a lot of information, I believe, um, that we'll be able to fact check and corroborate with other witnesses and other whistleblowers. May says she also wants the transcript released publicly, which committee leadership says it plans on. Gernal Scott, Fox News. Back here at home, the Michigan Supreme Court ruled yesterday uh, that people who were injured in car accidents before 2019, uh, the change in the Michigan no-fault law, um, are eligible to receive full benefits. And they voted on that by a five to two margin. Uh, The law, which passed back in June of 2019, capped payments at 55 percent of what they have been charging retroactively, forcing in-home car, uh, I'm sorry, in-home care of car accident patients to abruptly end forcing many people into nursing homes or, uh, in some cases, hospitals if the family could not afford either. And, look, I'm glad that they um, they, they they righted this wrong. But there's been people languishing out there for four years. So what about what about the, those lives that were ruined, those lives that, that were lost? And, I mean, the savings were, were minimal. Um, I, I believe that uh, it was... Uh, former Governor Rick Snyder, who kind of introduced this idea. And then it was uh, uh, Governor Whitmer working with uh, her majority Republican state legislature to actually sign it into law. And and, and you remember they had that big photo op on the uh, porch of the Grand Hotel in Mackinac. It was Governor Whitmer. Um, it was the Republican leadership. And it was supposed to be this big, uh, big moment of, of bipartisan um, cooperation and the savings were something like ten to twenty dollars a month per vehicle. I mean, it was not worth uh, the the human toll that uh, cutting people off from their benefits uh, took. So, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know these these people can be made whole and they can go on and continue to live uh, full lives in the comfort of their own home. And uh, it's just an absolute mistake from the beginning. Uh, well, if gas seems more expensive this week, it's not just you. Yesterday, AAA reported gas prices jumped about 18 cents since Monday of last week. 
And that's the highest gas price uh, increase, uh, gas price overall, actually, uh, in the past three months. Uh, Energy analysts say refineries are not able to run at full capacity in the south and the west because uh, temperatures have been reaching nearly 100 degrees. And uh, OPEC countries have also decided to cut production to raise the value of crude oil and hurricane concerns. They're all uh, affecting supply, driving prices up. And the Michigan State Capital Commission released a draft policy yesterday after meeting that would ban all weapons inside the state capitol building after meetings on Monday. Um, This is expected to go into place by the end of the month. They're going to be um, installing X-ray machines, key card readers, um, and it's estimated they need about 30 state troopers and law enforcement personnel uh, to assist with these new measures. And it's just inside the Capitol. It doesn't extend to the grounds outside. Uh, it's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. So it was a case that confused and captivated the public. A young woman goes missing after calling 911 to report a child walking alone on the side of an Alabama interstate only to reveal she never actually went missing and that there was never any lost child. And then she turned herself into police to face two misdemeanors for faking her own kidnapping. Um, Neil Rockind, criminal defense trial attorney, Rock on Law. He's on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz talking about the curious case of Carly Russell. This is such a curious case. So imagine being a resident of Alabama uh, part of this community-led search team looking for... You had me at resident of Alabama. <laughs> Just imagine that. <laughs> That's pretty depressing, actually. Uh, so you're looking for Carly Russell. You know, you're staying out to late into the night, uh, braving the elements. You know, I'm sure they felt, Kevin, this profound sense of betrayal when they discovered this thing was a total hoax. This This case of Carly Russell, the Alabama woman who sent authorities and residents on this wild goose chase after she staged her own kidnapping. Yeah, a false kidnapping. I can't imagine thinking you would get away with that. I'm not sure, you know, what would have to be going on in your life where you just said, you know what, I'm going to just yeah, I pretend I was, I was kidnapped. I, I, I Just with all the technology today and right. all of the pings off of a, a cell phone and all of these things, it would be hard to imagine you being able to get away with it. And, and think about uh, those trying to find her, how expensive it is to sure. search and rescue and all of that stuff and, uh, and, and scaring the entire community. Uh, well, it looks like... Um, they're coming after her. They're, they're, they're going to charge her in this case. Joining us now is Neil Rock on criminal defense trial attorney at Rock on Law. Hey, Neil, how are you? How are you guys? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being with us uh, here yeah. today. Uh, it sounds to me like this is something you have to do. You can't just kind of let this go and say, oh, this person might have been having a bad day and did this. This is a really unusual um, case. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's so bizarre. Um, I don't think the police are comfortable in a situation like this letting it go, given the fact that, um, I mean, her claims were so preposterous, so unverifiable, and really alarmed so many people, not just uh, first responders and police officers and firemen, but they really roped in, surely roped in her family, her ex-boyfriend, um, her parents who were on television, and I think even other families who had experienced um, missing children or daughters who offered to help an organized search party. So um, this is just one of those moments where the police are left with, they probably, um, they, 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 my guess is they wish they had 
more serious charges to bring against her than just the two that they can now. Yeah, you talk about uh, the impact on the community. Uh, going through this is, is is very difficult. When 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 you talk about um, her actions, um, does it matter what her motivations were, or do you just straight out say, "Look, these misdemeanor charges are because of the impact that your actions had"? The. the- Certainly her, her intention and her state of mind matters. That will matter more in the, in the legal process for uh, whatever her defense is, whether it, it's some kind of emotional or, or mental breakdown, whether she's going to claim that she was suffering some kind of trauma. Um, that, that's much more the sort, of, uh, the sort of thought process that would go into um, how the legal system responds to, to, the, to the, the charge. But I still think you have to bring the case. Uh, I, I, th- these are serious. These are serious moments. Amber alerts and missing person alerts. Um, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, but I was a prosecutor, and I can tell you that in every case, that just this one moment, just this one case, is going to be used by lawyers in court because this is the one sort of thing that's going to hang in the mind of jurors. When we start talking about in cases of abduction or allegations whether they're true or false, defense lawyers are going to focus on on issues related to reasonable doubt, and we're going to say, "Remember that case, and remember that case." And jurors are going to think, "Oh yeah, th- this is possible for someone to actually fake this." Yeah, that, so this that's... this set this this set back yeah. prosecutions and victim claims for 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 quite some time. Oh, for sure, I think just cast a shadow over the credibility of any future reports of any m- missing persons or Amber Alerts or anything of that nature. Um, of course, it does. is there a way that the that law enforcement, for example, uh, to they can improve the I guess the initial vetting process of these reported crimes that uh, come to their their office. I don't think so. I think so much of the legal system is predicated on people who are genuinely in need reaching out to the police when they're in need. And I think the police have to take every call um, as ser- seriously. I don't think that there's an opportunity for them to have some sort of voice analyzer or some sort of stressor. People disappear without any notice. Some disappear where they're screaming into a phone. Some uh, abductions are captured on, on video and audio. So I don't think we want the police, I don't want the police to have to engage in their own vetting process about the legitimacy of the call to begin with, because we have a 1% doctrine when it comes to the police and and their response, right? We we want them to react 100% of the time. We don't want there to even be 1% of a time where they decide not to act. And if they didn't act, Tom, which is, I think, probably your next question, if the police didn't act because they decided this one didn't sound serious or didn't sound real, could you imagine the uproar from all parts of the community if um, if something, if the police didn't act? There'd be all kinds of claims and about the reasons why. And um, I don't think we want the police to have to sort through that or filter those no. things out. Especially since time is of the ens- essence if, that you just touched on. So maybe on the other side of this, then, should there be more significant penalties for causing a public panic or in total waste of resources in this way? I think for falsely reporting a, a kidnapping or an abduction or um, an offense like that, I would say yes. Um, I don't know that it's going to have a significant deterrent effect, but um, 
I, but I think that it's certainly something to consider. If someone were to lie in the course of a homicide or a capital investigation to the police, if a witness were to, to provide a false alibi to the police in a homicide case, they face very, very serious penalties. They face, they don't just face a couple of years in prison, they face a felony. But victims, if they falsely report a crime against them, it's only a misdemeanor. And I think maybe there, there is something there to look at. I hate to make things more, more punitive, but maybe somebody might think a little bit more if they um, realize that there's, they're going to get caught, as Kevin pointed out, because of the technology. And two, the, the, if there's more penalty, there's maybe some more pain associated with that. Um, but I, the, the, one of the big concerns for me here is there are so many cases of missing children, missing uh, abducted women who are um, where there's no lead and we're not able to do any investigation and the trail goes cold um, before the police are even able to really get involved. And here, what's so sad and what's so difficult is that this woman had the support of everybody in the country. And it turns out that um, there was no trail to even follow at all. And I think that is really difficult to process. And I think the legal system is going to have a very hard time with it. This woman is, and her family are going to be are going to suffer the consequences of this for years to come. She, um, she's a she's a person yeah. of color, and in this country, there's been an issue of missing Black Americans, and, and many Black Americans think that their cases are not investigated as thoroughly as missing White Americans. And do you believe there could be a, a, a concern that that an impact on future responses in missing persons case. I would hope that we don't look at color when, when a, a call for missing persons comes in, but it, it, it has been a, a, an issue in the past. Yes, I'm concerned. I agree with you, Kevin. I don't want there to be um, uh, any sort of uh, color test or, or color barrier to the police responding to claims of, of abducted women or children. But the most people, when they think of this case, are going to also think of Jussie Smollett. And um, those two cases are very significantly in our mind because they're, they are recent and they're high profile. But there are cases um, in the news at the same time of people who faked their own death, people who faked uh, you know, insurance claims, people who faked uh, car accidents. Um, and those cases are, are largely... Um, don't gather as much attention in the media. And I'm afraid that, that the general public is going to react and think that um, may react more dubiously when it's someone of color making a claim. And I don't think that that's fair. And I don't want that to be the case. Yeah, this is concerning. We still don't know where she was for those 49 hours. And I, I do wonder if there's going to be additional charges once police uh, find out where she was. Maybe she was doing something she shouldn't have been, maybe illegal. Neil Rockine, criminal defense trial attorney at Rockine Law. Good to talk to you again, Neil. Thanks so much. It's going to make a hell of a dateline NBC one day. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on J. Well, the White House is raising alarms about what it believes to be malicious code that China has embedded into the computer systems of some of America's most critical infrastructure and military bases. Mike Rogers, director of IronNet Cybersecurity, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, talks to Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson on JR Morning. One congressional leader is calling it a ticking time bomb that could give China the power to disrupt American military operations. 
and also critical civilian infrastructure as well. For over a year now, the Biden administration, the Pentagon have been investigating potentially destructive computer code known as malware deep inside networks that control power grids, communication systems, and water supplies for our American military bases around the world. Officials are blaming Chinese hackers, most likely in coordination with the People's Liberation Army. This story has not been getting nearly enough attention. We wanted to learn more about it, and who better to talk with it about than the director of Ironet Cybersecurity, also the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers, our former congressman. Mike, good morning. Guy, good morning to you, sir. I know you must have read this story with alarm. The deeper I got into it, uh, it, it certainly when you consider what's going on between the China, uh, China and Taiwan, how concerning is this to you? And how are we supposed to characterize this? We know that both sides engage in cyber intelligence, but this is much more than that. This verges on cyber terror. Yeah, so they call this guy, uh, in, from a nation-state perspective, preparing the battlefield or prepping the battlefield. So what China is doing is trying to have malware in places where they flip that switch and it becomes destructive. So it isn't collecting information. It's, it is purposely designed to turn things off, to break things. And so that's what they've been up to. It's public, but I have to tell you, Guy, this has been going on for a very long time. And the Russians really perfected this about a you know, decade, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and have always been trying to get into our network systems to leave malware. The Chinese now have been doing it in a way that's certainly very public. And not just our logistics side, which you see here in this article, but what it was is they're also trying to get into our weapon systems, meaning, you know, you're out on a ship somewhere, they flip a switch, and some weapon, weapon system you need to defend that ship just stop, stops functioning. And so there have been very aggressive, uh, and it's, it's as bad as you think it is and probably worse. You know, Mike, uh, the Chinese embassy in Washington, they're calling, you know, this report like groundless uh, accusations. But then on the other hand, it's almost like uh, they're playing tit for tat because they say, well, uh, the Chinese government agencies face numerous cyber attacks daily and a lot of them coming from U.S. sources. So they almost seem like they're trying to justify even though they're trying to deny at the same time. Uh, Lloyd, absolutely. And, and if you remember a few years ago, uh, there was supposedly an agreement that China would not conduct uh, cyber operations. And that lasted for maybe 32 seconds. Uh, and that what they ended up doing is just changing the way they operated. So they now have this, uh, you know, kind of a proxy army of cyber warriors that they use in China that they can use deniability, meaning, hey, that wasn't us. These are just uh, right. you know, gangster cyber warriors that we have in our country targeting your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's pretty clever. It's going to go on. They're going to always deny it. We are just going to have to get better and better and better at trying to find it and get it out, number one, but also defend against it. But if they put an explosive device within a water treatment center or a power generating facility at, on one of our bases, we would consider that an offensive attack. How should we respond to this? Well, this is the multi-million dollar question, Guy. We have talked about it when I was uh, in chairman of the Intelligence Committee. We talked about this and infinitum. What is that line of threshold? 
And then what is your response? And you're right. If they fired a missile and hit that same water facility from a ship out in the water, guess what? That's an act of war. If they shut it down and cause people to have uh, real problems, then it would cause health problems and even life-threatening problems. Is that the same thing? Our problem with cyber is this. In, in the Chinese system, they, the government controls all of the cyber. Here in the United States, it is the government does not control cyber. So when we do tit for tat, it's much easier for them to ramp this thing up than it is for the United States. They can just turn off their, their systems. We can't do that. And so how we react has been a nagging problem for years. I think we do have better tool set to do that today, but we're still a long ways off. Uh, and and I have to feel, uh, Mike, that Taiwan is, uh, excuse me, is feeling uh, 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 some kind of way about this because uh, you know if China decides they want to uh, to to attack and we try to you know protect them, it could be an issue if we're trying to protect them. Oh, absolutely, Lloyd. So, and this is one of the things they do. You know, one of the things that the U.S. military does, I mean, exceptional men and women who serve in this country is unbelievable and their performance unbelievable on the battlefield. But we have the ability to sustain logistics almost anywhere in the world where most militaries can't quite accomplish that. You saw what happened with Russia mm-hmm. went into Ukraine. Their mm-hmm. logistics collapsed and it caused all kinds of problems. China knows this. And this is why they know they're targeting things that would make it difficult for us to logistically resupply uh, Taiwan in an event that China wants to go in. That's why they're targeting water and light and other things that you would think, why are they doing it? Well, it's disruptive, it's hugely disruptive to our military's ability to function at the same level that they would need to, to uh, perform at in the time of war. Well, and Mike, according to the sources of this article, there's a debate going on within the administration about whether or not they would stop with just military mischief and disruption and perhaps target our civilian infrastructure because it would it would be a way to undermine our resolve in defending taiwan that americans will be less interested in taiwan's interests if we have rolling blackouts higher gas prices things like that is there a propaganda angle to this as well oh absolutely and we've watched the russians do this for years remember the pipeline uh, you know, the colonial pipeline yeah. shut off a few years ago, uh, and that was not attributed directly to the uh, Russian uh, government because they used proxies, and those proxies had proxies. I mean, it's a very clever way to try to hide its original intent. Uh, but we know that all of our adversaries, Iran included, by the way, and they're getting their cyber game back up uh, in a point where it's very concerning. They know very, very well that they could cause real harm, and one way to do that on the civilian population is the same thing. So a military might be better equipped to handle uh, a catastrophic water, electric, other things shut off, uh, but the civilian population is in no way prepared for that. And so you're exactly right. Uh, It would be a way. And if this were serious and there was real shooting going on, Mm -hmm. I will guarantee you we are going to have massive cyber attacks in the United States that shut down uh, big swaths of our economy. Well, how does this happen? I mean, we know that they've been doing this. We know based upon going back a decade that the Russians have done this. How did this code get into these sensitive uh, networks in the first place? It, I mean, yeah, you're, it you're my cybersecurity guy. So, you know, you know <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're used to getting warnings from our computers that there could be malware. Yeah. Why was this a, a shock to them? And why has it been so hard for them to find it and root it out? 
if it's a shock to them, we're in, we're in bigger trouble than I thought. This should not be a shock to them. Knowing that they got in certain places is uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be a shock. Remember, the Chinese are the ones that stole all of the classified records. I'll give you if I give two seconds here. Yep. When they stole the OPM records, Office and Professional Management, of everyone that had a security clearance, you know, they issued letters. I got one saying, hey, your information was likely compromised by the Chinese government. Now, it didn't go up for sale anywhere in the world. What did they use that for? Creating the greatest and the mother of all social engineering campaigns to say, hey, Guy Gordon, I know that you go to uh, whatever. You, you go to this dry cleaner on, uh, near your home. Uh, and guess what? We're, we're giving you a special coupon half off. Click here. Now they're in your network. They use your network to leap into your uh, government network. Uh, in this case, would be a government network. And they are patient uh, and persistent. And they have something like 800,000 dedicated cyber warriors to penetrate networks around the world. And so you get that many people trying to get into your system. Remember, they only they get to get lucky once. You have to be really good every day, all day long to try to keep them out. They're going to get in. And so now the cybersecurity business is, okay, once they get in, how do you find them and get them out as soon as you can? So, I mean, all of the defenses in cyber is starting to change because of that. And that's why everyone warned you about these phishing emails. Some of them are very, very good because oh, yeah. they're based on real information from your you know, your history, your your uh, your proof of life, your pattern of life, excuse me. On the political side of things, Mike, uh, obviously the Biden administration knew about this, the threat that it poses, how it could diminish our ability to defend Taiwan if it comes to that. Should they have reconsidered sending Blinken and Yellen over to talk to Xi? Or does it make those kinds of connections and dialing down the heat even more important? Well, listen, I, I disagreed with them going over hat in hand to China. I, I think that's a serious mistake. China looks at that as they're winning. They're going to interpret that as that they know the United States is in a bad place. And by the way, this is what they tell our allies. They're going to beat America by not firing a shot because we are soft and self-absorbed. Yeah. That's what China is telling our adversaries uh, and our allies alike, by the way. And so they're working this narrative around the world. And when you show up, you have, and by the way, we didn't get what we wanted when we came out of there. That shows you that they believe they are in a better position, a stronger position in the United States. So the more people you keep sending over and saying, no, really, please, uh, the, the stronger that China views itself, and it will advertise that to the rest of the world. I think this is terrible uh, public diplomacy from the United States' perspective. There are many other things we can and should be doing to make their lives uncomfortable until they start playing by the rules. Yeah. Well, I'm just so excited to welcome in Nick Roddy, Lloyd Jackson, and Guy Gordon. I could not wait. And uh, time is short. You, you were really lonely this morning, apparently. Yeah, I was. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a lonely lifestyle these hours. Uh, time is short, so I want to get right to this. H- have you guys um, seen this uh, uh, Pat McAfee Twitter X or whatever it's called, controversy that's kind of erupted over the past. Uh, well, first of all, the controversy is what the hell do we call it now? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is it an X? Is it a tweet? Do you re X? I'm going to just call it Twitter for for now. Yeah, uh, that's what I do. Yeah. Or else I'm <laughs> yeah. going to spend the whole segment Go correcting myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, for, I have. So so for those who haven't, um, he's facing a strong backlash. One of his producers tweeted out a picture of the alternate MSU uniforms, which immediately, uh, uh, admittedly, are not are not good. He wasn't a fan, 
and he voiced his displeasure. And then Pat McAfee responded with, I think Nasser was in on the design team for oh, this, man. actually. And yeah, and, and and as you could guess, um, the the backlash has been uh, swift, and uh, a lot of people are calling him out. And, and he's he's kind of digging his heels in. Well, they're calling for him to be fired. Yeah, is that is that a fireable offense? You're there to do your hot takes. You're there to be controversial. You're yeah, there to yeah. Be, and did he err? You bet he did. Yeah. Well, and here's it's not a, something you joke about. I mean, here's the thing: ESPN, who's paying him eighty five million dollars, and. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is cause and effect, but after they signed him $85 million, they laid off a whole bunch of people. Yeah, about to say, you know, he's at a place where they're laying folks off. Right. Well, and the thing is, they've gotten they've gotten rid of some of their best personalities yes. for less. You know, Dan Lebitard, um, you know, wanted to voice political opinions. He was forced out. Colin Coward, uh, Jamel Hill. Oh, that's right. And yeah. so you kind of wonder how ESPN's looking at this. But, you know, they knew what they were getting with McAfee. He he hasn't deleted the tweet. He's been going back and forth with with people. And yesterday he offered, I don't know if you'd call it an apology, but uh, he explains himself here. There is a all-out onslaught against me right now for simply linking one terrible thing from a school yep. mm -hmm. with the most terrible thing from the school sure. mm -hmm. to a friend in a reply tweet talking <laughs> to a friend. Yes. Right. And... I do apologize if some people took that in a different way and Good. spun it in their own narrative to offend a bunch of other people yeah, and then kind of did sure. that whole thing. Right. I, oh, I was oh. simply talking to my friend. Okay, so he's spinning it. You know, yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, you guys are blah, blah you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, is that really an apology? Well, and here's the thing. I mean, idiot. If you're high profile enough to be making $85 from ESPN and it's on Twitter. There's no such thing as just talking bleep to your friends. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Um, <laughs> and I want to get social media 101. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, like you said, Lloyd, that old chestnut. I'm sorry if you spun it a different exactly. way. <laughs> and uh, yeah. he goes on to continue digging himself a hole. But does it feel. Like Michigan State alum are trying to silence some media whenever oh, yeah. they acknowledge mm. that Larry Nasser, the one of the most horrible humans ever, ever yeah, of ever. all time. Yeah, he was at Michigan State 14 years, long time. So that's not really a part of the story. He, right. like, they kind of created, like empowered, and yeah. So like, it's everybody uh, else's was, fault but mine. Exactly. Well, and, and here's the thing. And, and and by the way, I mean, listen to all those yes men. Oh yeah, yeah, Pat. Yeah, good point, Pat. Good point, Pat. <laughs> All right. No one's trying to bury this story. All right. He was making light of a heinous, painful situation. And he he wasn't calling out the university. He wasn't keeping, you know, bringing a, a story that's been uh, repressed to light. He was minimizing the, the, the pain and the trauma that these victims went through. Whether but they're that, still going through. Right. Whether he whether that was his intention or not. That's what he was doing. Look, nobody wants to accept accountability for anything anymore anyway, right? And right. when they do, then it's always got to be qualified accountability. But, yes. you know, there's this. There's no but. You screwed up. Take your medicine. Apologize and move on. He shouldn't pay for it with his job. It's his job to sometimes be an idiot. Yeah. And, and I mean, do I want him fired? No. But, you know, I, I wanted to I, I wanted to get through his thick skull why people are actually mad about this. Of course. This. You know, this isn't some woke mob looking for something to be offended about. I mean, the the, the, the outrage is, is legit. And, and I'm usually a McAfee fan. I find him to be funny. 
uh, usually well reasoned and, and seems like a generally good dude. And that that tweet was the opposite of that. So yeah, the devil made him do it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, here's the thing: if he gets let go from ESPN, uh, Outkick or 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 the Daily Wire will pick him up as a free speech champion. Maybe not for eighty five million dollars. We'll see in a few.